You're listening to the Gateway Franklin Church Podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. Well, you won't find the term mulligan in the USGA rules of golf but you will hear the term wherever amateur golf is played. A mulligan is a penalty-free second shot off the tee. You can't take a mulligan. Mulligans have to be agreed on beforehand by your playing partners. The more competitive the game, the more serious the golfer, the less mulligans are discussed. But I haven't yet met a golfer who wouldn't accept a mulligan when given the chance to play a bad shot over. So welcome to week three of our core series, where we have been exploring what makes gateway, gateway, or in other words, what makes us, us. Um, A core is something, right, that it's at the center, that when strong, then everything else impacts around it. So when you go to our website, the first things you see are these six words. Fresh starts, great friends, and real purpose. Um, Just below the rotating pictures, you can read this heading about us. It says, Gateway Church is south of Nashville, Tennessee, dedicated to enriching the lives of everyone we meet. We're driven to help people experience the quality of life God provides for all of us. Gateway's ministry passion is best expressed in Jesus' words in John 10. I came so so that they may have real and eternal life, more and better life, than they ever dreamed of. And under that section, then we we, we label it DNA, the the things that are woven into our core. Our vision is listed, our vision to become the most spiritually influential people in place by renewing the world around us through a relationship with Christ. In the first week of this course series, I defined for you what, what spiritual influence is. Said it's the impact of moving someone one step closer to Christ as a result of our connection and our interaction with that person. And then it lists our mission, our mission to lead people to fresh starts, great friends, and real purpose. Why is that the mission? Because this is the connecting point of living this kind of life that John, Jesus describes in John, a life more and better than we ever dreamed of, is a life that has a fresh, ongoing relationship with Christ being shaped in community, and then living life on purpose. The interesting thing is that when we chase that kind of life, that life that's identified by fresh starts, great friends, and real purpose, that life actually becomes a magnet for other people living life and it not being what they dreamed of. They keep trying harder and harder, maybe trying to do the same things over and over, and it continues to produce the same results, and yet... If someone's in their life or in their circle that is walking through the same hard, but walking through the same hard differently, then we become a beacon and a magnet for them to realize there is another way to live life. I can't just live life the same way I used to live life and think that I'm going to be attractive to anyone trying to figure out what's real, what's not, what's fresh, and what's stale. 
Last week, myself and Pastor Chris Dodd taught on great friends, the great friends component. Why is it hard to build community? What's the value in it? Why is it hard to do that? What are steps to begin community? Um, I encourage you to go back and listen to that podcast. And then um, we talked about groups and how groups are a tool of community. They're not the be-all or end-all, but they are a way in which we can begin building community through those groups. This week, we're going to talk about fresh starts. How, why, are they so, why are they attractive, how to start fresh, and how to live fresh. So let me get back to mulligans. The key to a mulligan isn't merely a second chance, but it's a second chance without a penalty. I get to hit the ball again without a penalty. But a fresh start in Christ is different than a mulligan in this regard. Even though I get to hit a second, cha- a second shot as a mulligan, the problem is the same person is still pl- swinging the same club. Not many golfers in the room here can appreciate that. The, the phrase on the golf course is the second guy is always a player, right? The second guy can always play. The problem, though, is it's still me swinging, and I'm still swinging the same club, and a fresh start is completely different than a mulligan. It's not a do-over. It's more a transformative makeover. It's, it's I'm no longer just acting the way I used to act, and I'm not the same person I used to be. Now, I have a relationship with God through Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and I'm not who I was. Now, I will say that it takes us time to continue to grow into that posture, but there is still something unimaginable that happens to us when we have a fresh start in Christ. Now, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10 and 19 through 22, I'm going to kind of go through this um, uh, almost verse by verse, if you will, but um, I'm going to read it out of the message. The message is a It's a translation that Eugene Peterson did, a pastor, long-term pastor, that was pointing to put scripture in his preaching terms, if you will. And he's a scholar too, so these aren't just, he didn't just pull this stuff out of his ear. Um, But you can follow along whatever version you want there in front of you, but the message is going to be up here. This really, to me, outlines where we all were and who we all are with this fresh start. So he begins, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired you were, you were stuck in that old, stagnant life of sin. This is the opposite of fresh, right? Sin is a separator between us and God, and that separated life is a dead, stale, stuck, stagnant, no freshness running through it kind of life. He says, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted unbelief, and then you exhaled disobedience. This is, this is a more poetic way to say garbage in, garbage out, right? That when, when you're continually around the same stuff, it's nearly impossible for that same stuff not to impact you, to start coming. If it comes in you, it's going to have to come out of you. And Paul's putting us all in this position that, that we, we, we all did this. We all breathe this stuff in and breathe the same stuff out. Um, we all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing, when we felt like doing it. Does that sound familiar? All of us in the same boat. None of us are exempt from the influence and the impact of sin and stale and dead. He goes on, it's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. Instead, though, here's what we received. He said, immense in mercy 
and incredible love, he embraced us. Mercy, not getting what I deserve. He, he, he gives us this, this uh, immersion, the immensement of mercy. And then credible, incredible, the, the beyond credible, beyond even what you can write out and see. And, and then he embraced, he embraced us. I want you to think about embrace. I like playing games with people that, that don't like me in their personal space. You should try this. If you haven't tried this, this is really fun. You, you can tell when people don't want you in a personal space because as you start creeping near them, they start creeping away from you, right? They're going to maintain the same distance between you and them no matter how close you think you're going to get. But if you can position it correctly when they can't move back any further, you can just watch them. They start leaning back, right? They, leaning back. And that's, you know, quotes in the hugs. There's people that aren't huggers or people that are huggers. I love hugging people who aren't huggers. It's, it's, it's the same, it's a twisted enjoyment, I, I, I grant you, but it's, it's the same enjoyment. And, I, and you know, I see you, I'll, I'll, get a, I'll get a side hug, or I'll get a fist bump, or I'll get a handshake, oh, but then there are the embracers. And you know you've been hugged when you get hugged by an embracer, right? Because then it is all the way around. And then there's a, right? There's that, just in case you don't know you getting hugged, you're going you gonna, you gonna to get hugged, right? And it is a clear indication um, that there's something strange going on or that, that they actually know you. They know you, there's a relationship there that, and they are, they are excited, they're excited to see you. You being there with them, it's, it's, it's transformative a little bit. It's, I, I, was, I was different, the day was different, the time was different, but you're here now. And now that you're, I'm so glad you're here. And this is what Paul is describing, that we were, we were in a stagnant, stale, dead relationship with Christ. And yet he comes, even though all of us were in the same position, he comes with immense mercy. More, more than you need more than you can imagine. It's immense. But not only is the mercy immense, it's not just like, okay, you're forgiven, go on. It's incredible love. It's, it's love that you, you don't deserve, I don't deserve it. We, we couldn't draw it up this way. Have you ever had someone love you like that? Where you know, I had done nothing for this person to think this much of me. And this is God with us. And Paul's drawing that stark, that stark difference of what happens when we come to Christ and who we were before Christ. He says, then he says, he took our sin dead lives and made us alive in Christ. He did all of this on his own with no help from us. Then he picked us up and set us down in the highest heaven in the company with Jesus or Messiah. It's, it's an invitation. It's not a passing fist bump. And he goes in verse seven. Now God has us right where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and to shower kindness upon us in Christ Jesus. Shower, not sprinkle, not ration, shower, <laughs> right? I mean, it's like we have no rain and then we have a massive thunderstorm and all of the mulch washes away, right? It, it's a, that's a shower. We've had a, a shower. And this is, I want to shower you with grace. 
things that we couldn't earn. So mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace, receiving what we couldn't earn. And he showers us that with grace. And then kindness. Isn't it refreshing when you're around someone kind? Right? You can't hardly even define the term, but you can point out, man, that person was kind. There was a genuineness. There was a sweetness about them. They were kind to me. They didn't have to be kind to me. They were kind to me. This is what I teach you about learning the tone of the voices inside your head. That the shaming, condemning voices aren't God's voice. When God even tells us the truth, truth that hurts, it comes out kind. It's a kindness. He's wanting to bring us to life. He's not wanting to punch us because we're dead. He's wanting to bring us to life. He said, um, saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better get doing. This is, this is part of this, this life in Christ that comes when we join him in the work he's doing. And it's, he starts to demonstrate and show us the work that he created us to do. This is the kind of life you and I are after. This is the, a nod to real purpose, which is next, next week when I say so many people, they long for a purpose, but they settle for a cause. Causes, most of the time, causes are short-lived and they're thin. Purposes are long-lived and they're deep. We long for this, and we long for this, and we find this when we connect to Christ. And then jumping to verse 19, just to kind of wrap up Paul's thought here, he says, that's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. This kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here. Isn't it awful to feel like an outsider? It is a tough emotion to deal with as an outsider. And yet, Paul's telling us that when we have a fresh start in Christ, we're no longer outsiders, we're insiders. You have, a, you have as much right to be to the name Christian as anybody. I mean, so many people that don't, don't, they don't live in the relationship of Christ they have because they're still so caught up in who they were. So God is building a home. He's using all of us, irrespective of how we got there. And what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you and me, fitting us brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Can I tell you, there is no pedigree in Christ. There's no pedigree. Now, there's head starts. I may have had a head start over you in this walk with Christ. The way my life lined up, born at the, in a place in which I had a parent who loved Jesus and wanted me to love Jesus too. I, I had a head start over a lot of people I know. But that doesn't give me a certain pedigree that you don't have. We don't have different pedigrees. We just have different starting places. There is a phrase in culture that says, all roads lead to God, and they don't. 
All roads don't lead to God, but all roads can lead to the cross. And the cross is the way to God. And we have different stories probably of how we came to the cross. But when we got at the cross, we all had the same starting place and the same fresh start. All begins there at the cross. When, when the world says that um, all roads lead to God, I think really what they're saying is around this idea of all sincere spiritual pursuits will lead you to self-fulfillment and self-actualization and self-realization. That if you just believe something hard enough and firm enough and you got it, well, that, all that's going to work out. And all that really ends up being is dead stuff. The Bible tells us that no amount of self leads anywhere except unfulfillment, disillusionment, and dissatisfaction. You, you might not find that at the beginning of that road, but you will find that somewhere along that road. That this chase after self only leaves you empty. So I wrote it this way at the end. All roads don't lead to God, but all roads can lead to the cross. Our roads lead to empty, tired, and stale. The crossroad leads to full, energized, and fresh. But when I talk about fresh starts, it's, it's not just about the first step. I can talk about fresh starts with anybody. I had a conversation with someone, even when we were handing out food at the well, and they were talking, they were asking me questions about the church, and I started talking about fresh starts, and they were intrigued of what that meant. I haven't met anybody yet that hasn't wanted a do-over in some form or fashion. So when I talk about fresh starts, it is, there's an initiation of a relationship with Christ when I choose his way over my way. That is the beginning place. But it's deeper than that because if you're a follower of Christ, it also means how do we live fresh? Starting fresh is the beginning point. It's not the end point. How do we continue to live fresh is what I want to get to here today. Staying connected to Christ is the key to living fresh. So John 14, 15, 16, and 17 is some of, some of my favorite passages of Scripture to live in. Um, it, is, it is some of Jesus' last teaching to the disciples the night he would be arrested. So, so to me, the, the context of these make these really elevated, in my opinion. Not that one part of Scripture is better than another part of Scripture. I'm just telling you, though, he's about to go to a cross... And this is his last time with his disciples. So I believe what he's trying to get across here is crucial. And in part of that is John chapter 15, where he's saying, basically, you have had access to me this whole time and you're about to not have access to me any longer. I'm about to leave. And that's going to throw you for a loop. So let me tell you how you stay connected to me. Does this make sense? You're not going to have access to me any longer face-to-face. -face. I'm not going to be sitting in front of you sharing this meal anymore. But there is a way to stay connected to me. So, again, out of, out of, um, out of the message. So Jesus began teaching them. He says, I am the real vine. What's the first implication you can pull there? I am the real vine. What's a good implication? Yeah, you, it's, it's tr you can talk to church. You can, you can talk. Right? <laughs> that there's something that's not the real vine, right? That there are things that pose as vines. There are things that pose that are life-giving that aren't life-giving. They might, they, might they might look similar. They might have the same promise, but they're not going to deliver the same thing. And I'm just telling you, too many of us, even after Christ, starts trying to tap into life in the wrong vines. So that I am the real vine. My father is the farmer. 
He cuts off every branch of me that doesn't bear grapes. And every branch that is grape bearing, he prunes back so it will bear even more. Pruning doesn't look like it's an enjoyable process to get cut or something chopped off. But I will tell you, if we keep in mind what the farmer and the vine dresser is doing, we should enjoy the fact that there are things in our life that he points out that is actually taking life away from us. And if he can take them out of our life and prune us and just change us a little bit and then tweak us here and then say, come on here, then that actually we will produce more than we did if he just let us go on and do whatever we wanted to do. So you're already pruned back by the message. I mean, when we hear the word of God and we respond to the word of God, the word of God prunes us. He said, live in me, make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined in the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. Now, if you're reading out of another translation, remain and abide and dwell become the main words being used in John 15. If you remain in me, my words remain in you, abide. Well, the way, the way that um, Eugene Peterson heard this was, if you make your home in me, if you make your home in me, if you make your home in me and I make my home in you, I, I love that language. So, so to use Eugene again, here's how he, defi- here's how he um, talks about John 1.14. So let me read it out of NIV and I'm, and I'm gonna connect some dots and I don't always, um, you, you're already confused of why I started talking about mulligans. So, so just, just, <laughs> you just, you just, gotta, you just gotta keep up or watch again is all I can tell you. All right, so, so John 1.14, he said, the word became flesh. He's talking about Jesus in John 1. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who come from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's NIV. Uh, some version of that's going to be read in King James, all that. But here's how Eugene translated it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of kind glory, like Father, like Son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. So in my vernacular, he's saying, but by looking at John 1, the remain and abide, And over here, he's saying, Jesus came and pitched his tent. He came and moved into our neighborhood. He came to make his home with us. He came. He started this. And so the invitation is, make your home in me. I've made my home in you. Make your home in me. This is where living fresh happens when we make our home in Christ. And then Colossians 1.27, Paul says, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is carrying this concept further that when we make home for Jesus inside of our house, ourselves, we carry this hope. And in the context of that passage, he's saying that we make known the mystery of the kingdom to those who don't understand it. Now he uses language between Jews and Gentiles. I'm just gonna use it in a different language that when Christ resides in us, when, he, when we make our home in him, he makes our home in us, we are the revelation of the glory of God. That every, the life and the salvation that people are looking for in other places and people and things, we, become, we declare that when we allow him to live inside of us because when he lives inside of us, when makes his home there, he sets up, home here. It's like he takes out the furniture that we had from college and he puts his own furniture in there. You with me? So, so he makes his home. He, he, we, we make room for him to be comfortable in there, to live in there, then transform. We give him the reason 
and the, and the option to change the paint color and change the room and knock out a wall. We, we're saying, hey, you, you, this is your home. The, you, you, go to, you, you can go to the refrigerator when you want to go to the refrigerator. This is your home. This is a big, this is a big deal. Staying fresh is what he came for us to have, not just a start. And fresh, when we embrace it, when we embrace fresh and we stay fresh and live fresh, that becomes a marker for anybody else still mired and stuck in a stale, dead, putrid lake. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. We, we need to get that order right. I am the source of life. It's me. You're the branch. I provide you life. You produce fruit. This is how the arrangement works. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation is intimate and it's organic and the harvest is sure to be abundant. I've done this for you before, right? An apple tree doesn't stand, an apple tree doesn't stand in an orchard and goes, apple. An apple tree does apples. Right? There's, there's a forced movement in that. Apple trees produce apples. Grape vines produce grapes. And he said, anyone though, he said, separated, you can't produce a thing. Anyone who separates me is dead wood gathered up and thrown on the bonfire. But if you make yourselves at home with me and my words at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. This is how my father shows who he is when you produce grapes, when you are mature as disciples. This has been mistranslated by more people known to man. If Christ makes his home in me and I make my home in him, what I ask for is what he wants me to ask. Yeah. I'm transformed by him. My, his wants become my wants. His desires become my desires. And he wants to engage us in this process of asking and receiving and asking and doing. He wants to include us in this process. And he's got to get us at home with him so that what we're asking for and walking out is what he would ask for and what he wants walked out. All right, verse nine. I've loved you the way my father has loved me. Make yourselves at home in my love. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. That's what I've done, kept my father's commands and made myself at home in his love. So like me, I, I wanted to see how I could break out, how do we then live in his love? Three, three, three ways here. One is we have to settle, and, and we're going to leave those up, but I'm going to talk about settling into his love, settling, making yourself at home in this love. What happens when there's distance between you and the person you love? Distance causes anxiety generally. So let me just put this in context. I asked Gina to marry me, and then the next day, I got in a 32-foot U-Haul with a car carrier behind me, and I drove 800 miles due west on I-20 to take a new job. And so we were apart. We were apart. I didn't see her again for like six weeks when her job, she, got, she was traveling and she was able to come to see me. And I still remember seeing her on that day because, first of all, we had spent thousands of dollars on long-distance telephone calls already, right? This is when the phones are connected to the walls that Pastor Dodd was talking about last time. 
And, um, and so I think she reminded me that I think I even did a couple of collect calls that her dad said yes to, which was kind of amazing. And, um, and I remember uh, her memory, she flew to Dallas and then did the commuter flight to Tyler. And then the commuter flights were just parked on the tarmac and then you, know, you walk down outside and it's, it's Texas, it's hot. Um, and, uh, and I see her and she gets off and she's got this blue polka dot short set outfit and my heart just went, you know right? But it went, and then I was like, oh man, I really st still hope she wants to marry me. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Be because distance, even though, I, even though there was an engagement, even though I gave her a ring hoping that it would matter, right? There was still this, we had this distance. And so we were still learning one another. So when you're still learning what that love is like, you're still well, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I do the wrong thing? What if, how are they going to receive this? There, there's this anxiousness. And so, look, this is how any relationship begins. And but what Paul is, is leading us into is that when we settle in, when we sit in, when we become familiar with, that, look, love looks different when you start and as you go along, right? It just, it just ends up looking different. But it, it looks better. It's funny. It looks better when you don't look better. You know, because you know, that's, you know, we, we keep, well, I don't look nothing like I look like when, when she married me. So we, we have to continually, um, and we still okay, you know, because we're, we're, we're different, but we've, we've settled into this love and it's sweeter. It's more special. I don't know if you can say it's more special, but you, you appreciate things that you didn't know and see before. And so when you're settling into the love of God in Christ, you want more. So there's that staying fresh component is if I, if I will settle. Look, when, when, when you're not settled in your love for God, then all of his actions, you perceive all of his actions as good or bad based on what you want or don't want to happen to you. And so when something happens or you don't get your way, and I don't even mean the bad way, but you just think he should have done this or he should have done that, and you're not settled into his love, you, you will measure his love by how he responds to your questions and your asks. But when you're settled in it, you're assured of it, then you turn over that surrender and you, well, I just trust you. I trust you. Okay, we're going to zig and I wanted to zag. I'm settled. I trust you. If we're going to live fresh, we have to settle. We have to settle into that love. The second piece that he talked about in this was keeping my commands. Keep my commands. The more we keep the commands, the more we learn to trust his word. The more we trust God's word and we're intimate with that, the more we will share God with other people because of that freshness. And this sounds harsh. Well, keep my commands. It sounds like my rules, I mean, my roof, my rules. It can sound that way. My roof, my rules, right? And that's really not even a bad thing to have. I can say that because having a roof and needing rules, I, I understand that, because, but I remember even hearing that. It's getting my roof, my rules. Now, if I'm settled into the love of God, what I don't hear is you do it my way or you get out. If I'm settled into the love of God, what I hear is I have a way for you. And that way is a perfect way. And it will take us where we want to go. And that's a whole different ballgame than hearing my roof, my rules. It's I have a way, I have a path, and that takes us to life 
and liberty. And if you will trust me, if you will keep my commands. That's, that's a trust statement. Keep my commands. Trust me. I've patterned out this way. And I'm just telling you, we make our own dadgum Bibles all the time. This is the stuff we're going to keep. And this is the stuff we're not going to keep. This is the stuff we're going to do. This is the stuff we're not going to do. And I'm just telling you, staying fresh, making up your own Bible doesn't work. It, it, it doesn't work. There, there, is, there, is no, there is no freshness there. Settled and keeping. I mean, well, I think it's James, Jesus' brother. I think, I think it's in, in the book of James where he said that be not just hearers of the word, be doers also. Hearing the word and doing the word is the path. Hearing the word and not doing the word gets you in the same, doesn't get you anywhere. Keep my commands. Here's the last one. Here's the last one, and that is um, create space. Create space. We have to create space for connection. We have to create space for his word and for prayer and for worship. Oh, now you sound like an old pastor. Well, I've looked this thing over from top to bottom for decades on end, and I don't see any substitution for word, worship, and prayer. It's been this way for millennials. Uh, well, for millennials it has, but for millennia, it's, it's generational. Um, anybody that has a new quick fix or a new app or a new, like, don't you always stop at the Facebook reels and stuff, the hacks? I love hacks. I love building hacks. I love seeing people doing, well, you can do it this way and it's faster and it's cheaper and it's more effective. And, you know, and I always stop at those things. I still can't figure out how to not burn fat, but I keep looking at so many of those videos. I, there's no way around it. Word, prayer, worship. So let me talk about that. With the word, I'll just tell you me, I need a plan. If I don't have a plan, it's hard for me to stay in the word. Now, what keeps me in the word is Sunday comes every single week. I work on a six-day deadline, and I have, I've worked on a six-day deadline for 17 years. You want to know deadlines? I have a deadline, but I'll tell you this, there is no freshness that will come out of my mouth if all I'm doing is treating that Bible as a textbook and I'm going to do a lesson on Sunday. And I'll just tell you, your pastor works better with a plan. So whether it's the Life 180 trying to read the Bible in six months, and some will say, well, I can't study that like that. I, I get it. No, I mean, if you're having to read 30, 40 minutes a day, I, I told you it was 20, it's, it's, it's longer, but... You know, but anyway, I was just trying to, I was trying to trick, you know, get you in. All right, so, uh, all right, it took me six extra weeks to finish this time through. I, you know, it wasn't 180 days, it was like two, two, 212 days, but it doesn't sell as well telling you 212 day reading plan. But what I tell you is more of it gets in. The more I read, the more of it gets in. And someone kind of shared a, a scripture to me, with me between services. Um, as I, that, that I hide the word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Me being able to pull up, where's Eric? Where's your husband? He's online. Eric, you're not with me today. Because I always quote the scripture from our CLC. The eyes of the Lord roam to and fro and throughout the earth, seeking to strengthen those whose hearts after him. I said at the beginning, 
learned in CLC. Eric was in that CLC. And it just, that one sticks. I'm not a great Bible memorizer. I'm just not. I, I'm good at, I, I, you know, chapter and verse and address and all that stuff. I can tell you, I can tell you which side of the divide. You know, I, I just want to let you know that just because you can't memorize stuff all that well, I'll just tell you the more that you become comfortable in the word, the more it sticks and stays and guides and directs and challenges and prunes and brings life. And I do better with a plan. And more than likely, you're the same way too. Um, for prayer, for prayer, I'll tell you, I need a place. For the word, I need a plan. For prayer, I need a place. If I don't have a place, my prayers become random and shotgun and drive by. My place is in a leather chair in my home office. That's my prayer place. And so it means when I go into that office, I'm already entering into a posture of prayer because that's my place. I've also started learning to write my prayers. What writing my prayers have done is it's, I've been much more articulate and succinct. Not that God's trying to measure my vocabulary. What I'm saying is it hones me in on what I, and it's amazing to me, when I go back and read my prayers, I can tell you where my mind was at the time. Like, was this grateful, Charlie, or was this, right? Because how I start the prayer. And it's convicted me, because I've been able to go back and look how I've prayed, of you aren't nearly as grateful as you should be in this relationship. Oh, I'm not. So I'll go back on top of where I started and say, sorry, I really am great, you know. But, it, but it, it helps me. All right, what about worship? What about creating space for worship? We have made so many different ways to worship, right? Uh, I'm a Christian radio fan, okay? So um, I listen to Air One um, around, um, uh, they have one digital channel on worship. I listen to that all the time. And Moody Radio, I'll listen to um, teaching like back to back to back to back. But so I'm not saying that, that those aren't, aren't good things because they are, but I treat them more as snacks than meals, right? Why? Because I'm, I'm in my car. And how, how much attention can I give this in my car? These are good things. It's not my meal. My meal is on Sunday mornings with you. I can't teach like those people on the radio, but they can't look me in the eye. They can't embrace me. I can't embrace them. There is something about that kind of, can I say the word accountability? (laughs) Can can I say the word about relationship? But we've got to create space because if if we don't create space, the immediate always gets our attention. The immediate will just pound its fist on the table and demand that you give immediate attention. And, if, and, and, and it's nearly impossible to disregard that hammered hand on the desk. Give me your immediate. Unless something else has already got your immediate. And I'm telling you, when you pour yourself, when you create space and you settle into his love and you keep his commands and you make space for prayer and worship and word. It's amazing how the immediate loses its pull and how much has already been taken care of because you've postured yourself in a different place. And some of this, guys, we're just way too busy. We're way too busy. And I know this is an old thing to say, but we're just way too busy. 
it takes away all that space. Look, I've perfected, I have perfected ordering lunch on my Chick-fil-A app, driving to Berry Farms, getting it and eating it before I get back to the office. Right? I can do that. And I can do that consistently. Well, it, it stops my stomach from a revolt, but other than that, it doesn't do anything else. There's nothing special about it, right? Hey, honey, come ride with me. We're going to have dinner in the car. How many people eat in the car? You eat in your car regularly. We do it because we have to, but it's not anywhere where there's going to be great nourishment, right? Because it limits what I eat. It limits how I eat it. But in here, in this room, we, we breathe a little bit. We breathe a little bit. All right. What do you do with, what do you do with this, these passages of Scripture and this ramble? Um, poor golfer. What do, you, what do you do with it today? Well, one is, if you've been, if you've been trying to figure out if Jesus is real and is there a different kind of life to live than one you're living? My prayer was today was the last link in that chain where you would make the decision that you want a fresh start, that you want that relationship with Christ. And you've kind of been tracking along in different ways and in and out of different things. And But wow, you have come to a, a place where you really know that that dissatisfaction can only be met by something someone you haven't tried yet and that's Christ and since he's done all the heavy lifting he's the one that went to the cross he's the one who came and made his home with us really the balls in our core of making our home in him Lord I, I, I want to surrender to you I want to live with you it's, it's, a, it's a simple and as complicated as that It's as simple because it's a decision you make. It's complicated because you'll spend the rest of your life trying to figure out how this thing works in terms of how the blood of Christ, his death brings us life. But it's worth chasing. And then for many of us, you might feel yourself stuck and stale. And I I wish I could just wave a wand today and that you would all just feel fresh in Christ. And each of us know that's not how it works. Some, some of you might, you might be resisting the pruning of God. And he's been, you and him have been in conversation and there are some things in your life that needs pruning. And you have been reluctant to this point. And I'd encourage you today, let him, let him do it. Let him, let him do it. You, you will experience more life than you could imagine if you let him have his way. And I know this is America, so I can say this and we'd all feel like we fit in this category, but if, if you're too busy, if you're too busy for God, you are running yourself in the ground. You're running yourself in the ground. There is freshness there for you, but, but you got to drink. You got to drink. There's plenty of places for fresh water, but you got to drink. And just to take another moment, there was someone in the altar in the first service and I know her personality. So the first thing I prayed for her was, I think what you heard today is you're not doing enough. She just nodded her head. I said, that's not what the message is today. Don't listen to that voice. That's not the kind, tender voice. 
is there's more for you. Hear that voice. There's more for you. There's more fresh than where where you're living. And so you might want to come to the altar today and let him cut some stuff. You might come today because you just want to breathe. You might want to come and find me to pray with me around your fresh start. You don't need me to pray with you, but you might want someone to pray with you. I want to do that. We have communion available to my left and right. That is a fresh move, isn't it? To partake of the blood and body of Christ, the new life that he gives us. But what's the deal around here? Movement matters. Don't just hear the word. Do something with it. Let's stand. Father, we're grateful. We're grateful that you designed a day. Not that we can't find you any other time, but you did design a day. You had a plan. You set it apart. This is my Sabbath. Rest in me. Drink from me. Receive from me. You put it here for us. Lord, and we've gathered today. We've gathered online in this room. We've gathered and we we need you and we want freshness to rule in our life. So Lord, we by invitation want you to live in us. Lord, and we want to live in you today. In your name we pray. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.